When you have a problem, Fox 12 gets you answers. The violence continues. When crime hits too close to home, we want to make sure your voice is heard. We're listening and ready to confront your problems head on. How can Fox 12 help you? Tell us at kptv.com. Thank you for listening to BRC and Friends. This is another episode that is done in partnership between First Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto and BRC and Friends. In this series, you're going to be hearing from candidates for the Palo Alto City Council. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. My name is Bruce Reyes Chow, and this is BRC and Friends. Each episode, I chat with activists, artists, academics, and adventurers to discuss politics, faith, pop culture, technology, and as you will discover, pretty much everything else that pops into our heads. This is basically an excuse for me to hang out with friends and colleagues and riff about things that matter. Welcome to BRC and Friends. Well, welcome all. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto webinars, where this election 2020, I'll be interviewing candidates uh, for Palo Alto City Council, uh, but this first time, uh, I get to uh, hang out a little bit with uh, the mayor of Palo Alto, Adrian Fine. Uh, but it, just in general, if you are new to these uh, webinars with me, uh, in this series in particular, we're trying to get to know the issues that are important to the candidates, uh, but also get to know who they are as the, the person behind the politician. Uh, we'll be taking questions later, so f- please feel free to put those in the Q&A section. Uh, we'll, uh, Adrian will answer some of those later. Uh, this will be recorded and shared on our church YouTube channel, as well as posted as part of my podcast, uh, B- B- BRC and Friends. Again, uh, today I welcome outgoing Mayor a- a- Adrian Fine to the First Presbyterian Church community. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you so much, Pastor. Um, thanks for, to First Presbyterian for having me, and yep. thanks for setting us up. I, I really appreciate it. Well, and you can call me Bruce. It you is, can call me Adrian. Adrian. Yeah, we'll just we'll just get right to that. So, um, so uh, tell me a little about yourself. You know, I'm new to all the people and all the players, and new to Palo Alto. Tell me a little about yourself. Give us some context and background to who 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 is Adrian. Um, I like to joke, I'm just a kid who grew up here in Palo Alto and somehow got involved in all this city politics. Um, But I was born and raised in Midtown. My parents came to Palo Alto in the late 70s from South Africa. Um, They moved here for good jobs, good schools, good opportunities. Um, I'm the youngest of six kids in a a blended family. Um, Went to Ohlone, JLS and Gunn. Uh, after college, I spent a couple of years working for the Metropolitan Transportation Commission, which is the Bay Area's regional planning and finance organization. And it really got into me this uh, really passion, I guess, for, for public service, but also for um, the nuts and bolts of how cities and the region works. Um, so I then went to graduate school, studied city planning, came back to Palo Alto. Uh, I work in technology now in marketing for a transportation technology company. Um, and in 2015, I saw an ad in the Palo Alto Weekly to apply for the Palo Alto Planning and Transportation Commission. And I'm like, <laughs> I know something about planning. Let me, let me do an application. Um, the council appointed me, um, was kind of unexpected. And I was immediately thrown in like, you know, waist deep into like these Palo Alto politics. I was just like, whoa, what's going on here? Um, but I, I did the planning commission for a couple of years. And in 2016, uh, a bunch of people in the community who I'd known for a long time begun to get to know. Um, asked me if I would run for city council. And I said, don't you have somebody older and more experienced than me? The answer was no, so I took a shot. Uh, My dad was my campaign manager, my wife was my data person. Um, We ran a grassroots campaign, knocked on 15,000 doors across the city. 
Um, my big thing over the past four years on council has been sustainable uh, transportation and housing choices for people of all backgrounds. Um, you know, as I said, I've lived here in my college my whole life, except for college. And I really love this town and I'm happy to share what I love about it. Um, but I also sometimes worry about its future. And I, and I wonder if we haven't become a little too isolated and cloistered and uh, not solving some of the big um, housing and transportation issues that our community has. And so right. that's been my focus. Well, we'll, def we'll, we'll definitely get to that. As a new person coming into Palo Alto, I can share stories all about. So um, if I remember, you mentioned at a city council meeting, you're the, so you're the youngest of six, but you're the only one that's still living in Palo Alto. Is that true? Right. So everybody else is kind of gone to the wind. So I have a sister in New York, a brother in Singapore, a brother in Montreal, a brother in Oakland, and a sister in Texas. So all over the world. So, um, so you've been using Zoom for far beyond all this to even just connect <laughs> with your family, as I assume. I mean, this is not new, obviously. I guess you. So. And so you went to Gunn. Yep. I, have a, I, have a, I have a senior at Gunn, which yep. is uh, to transfer from this little hippie, uh, small, um, private school in San Francisco to mm. the polar opposite uh, of gun. And it's been quite the transition. Sure. Uh, tell me just as somebody who went there, um, I'm curious, like what's, what's your take about gun? Just, just in general. I, I mean, what, what are its positive, what is working on? Um, I'm curious what people who went there, um, what, what you feel yeah, about I that mean, experience. I really enjoyed my schooling in Palo Alto. Um, so like, you know, Ohlone is the quote unquote hippie school. It's changed a lot over the years. Is it? Okay. Um, you know, JLS is a great middle school. So it was of course Green and, and, and um, Fletcher. Um, but Gunn, like I enjoyed it. I wasn't the like, you know, absolute best performing student. I didn't do any sports, didn't do much extracurricular activities, but I really enjoyed English and Spanish and math. Um, you know, like I had some friends, but after school, like I would just, you know, walk around town or go home and do my homework. Like it wasn't an extrovert and an introvert. Um, I guess, you know, something, some things that have changed and some things that have remained is, you know, it was certainly always a, an academic pressure cooker. And e even when I was in school, there were kids who I think suffered mental health issues from, from the pressure of being in Silicon Valley next to Google and Stanford and having to achieve at high levels. Um, I think that maybe has gotten worse actually. Um, mm -hmm some things that have changed, like one thing that always blows my mind. Um, when I went to Gunn, I was one of the few kids who biked to school. And I would bike oh. there and you know, I was often enough late um, and they would lock up the bike cage at Gunn. And I would then like have to lock my bike to the outside of the bike cage and they tell me I couldn't do that. And if you go to Gunn nowadays, well, not nowadays because oh, yeah. of COVID, um, you know, someone like a third of the students bike and the bike racks are oh, overflowing. Yeah. Um, and like in 10, you know, 15 years seeing that change, um, I'm, I'm really, well, I, I, we plan, so growing up, you know, ha raising our kids in San Francisco, you know, biking was not the natural, like you don't just hop on your bike and bike around San Francisco, unless you like are serious into biking and you want to do the Hills. And so moving to Palo Alto, uh, I have three, three kids, uh, college age, one's graduate in college, one's college age. Mm -hmm. And then our high schooler, you know, we have bikes, but it's not the natural, let's just bike. And so we said, well, you could bike to gun. And she's like, so that's, that's not gonna, well, that's, she, that wouldn't be her thing. So we pick her up and drop her off. Um, she would have got to drive this year to enjoy suburban life, high school, but nope. that's not happening. But I started to actually adjust my pickup times. So I would miss this swarm of, <laughs> I mean, it felt like you could hear them. Like you could hear this, 
you know, 50, 60, maybe 100 bikes coming down the street like bees. And it, I just, so I either showed up really early or really late yeah. because it was great. It was like, this is great, but I, they make, it makes me nervous to drive around tons of teenagers on bicycles. Um, but yeah, I mean, so that, that wasn't how it used to be. It, no, it didn't used to be that. that so that, that's definitely a big change. Um, no. But I don't know, it's a good one, right? It's great, great for yeah. the environment. It's great oh, for yeah. the health. And, and the city has invested a lot over the past 10, 20 years into making it safer right. for them. Right. Well, that's great. That's great. So, yeah, so I'm new to Palo Alto. I, um, I fully admit that as, as a San Franciscan, I was very smug about, and I probably, if you had talked to us 10 years ago, we would have said, no, we're never going to live in Palo Alto, let alone, you know, down, down there. Mm -hmm. And now we're here because that's what happens when you make yep. plans. And, uh, you know, and a lot of my friends are like, oh, yeah, you're going to go to Palo Alto. And there's all this impressions about Palo Alto and all that kind of thing that, that, some are bearing out a little bit true. Others, most of them are not. But um, as I'm getting used to it, uh, tell me why you why why do you love Palo Alto? And I know you've talked a little bit about what you felt like it was and what it is and where it's headed. But just in general, wh why do you love the city? So I think I think there are two big things for me. So one is like, on the one hand, Palo Alto is just like great, almost small town. It's a mid-sized city. Um, you know, like wonderful neighborhoods, great streets, great parks, like great place to be a kid, to raise a family. Um, on the other hand, though, it's like this international center of innovation and interesting things happening, right? And that's whether it's, you know, some of the cool companies that are based here or started up here or because of Stanford uh, or because some of the stuff in NASA and Mountain View, kind of our history there. Um, so, like, you, you get both sides of it. And that's, that's what I really like about it. You know, like, you can walk through Midtown or Professorville or downtown and like have this charming, lovely city. And at the same time, like you can go to a, you know, Stanford football game, or maybe there's like a really cool uh, technology hackathon happening downtown with like, you know, eminent technologists. Like, I don't know, I find that really fun and interesting. I mean, you go, not so much nowadays, everything's changed because of COVID, um, but you would go to like a coffee shop in Palo Alto everybody would be popped open there with their laptop. Um, you know, half of them are working for some company. A quarter of them are starting a company. The other quarter are trying to right. invest in companies. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just find that like yeah. a really interesting milieu. Yeah. Well, we found, I mean, those are some of the things that we've really enjoyed. My, now my wife is a Cal grad. Okay. So I, I'm not sure how we're, I, 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 we, we might get, you know, we're a big soccer family. So I'm like women's soccer. Yeah. We may go ahead and get, get into that. But yeah, I'm having a hard, it's a hard sell to get really excited about, um, about Cal or about Stanford stuff with my Cal, but we'll get over it. Um, yep. And I've, I've really appreciated um, that it is kind of a, it does feel very small townish in a very positive way. I mean, I've developed relationships already with a few businesses that they know me when I come in and, you know, I, I actually did a podcast with a bunch of the baristas from Phil's on Middlefield who I've gotten to get to know. And it's just been, there is that feel. And, and I think it, it tops off. Um, I announced on Sunday at our worship service that um, I'm going to be interviewing uh, Mayor Fine and a bunch of the candidates and people are like, well, how did, how did that happen? I'm like, well, I asked. Like, and, right. And in a small town, especially around COVID time. I mean, if I were a candidate running, I'd be like an hour where I get to talk about me. Okay. Right. And so, um, and I think in other places we weren't that you wouldn't just be able to do that. There's just too many other things. So I've really appreciated kind of that vibe. And I love this part of Palo Alto. 
uh, Midtown La Verde area where we live as we're getting to know everything. I will say one of the things I, I joke about this all the time is that um, there's far less street lighting in Palo Alto than I've than I can remember, and so my kids make fun of me because I, when we go for walks at night, I have a light on the back of my hat, a front of my hat, hanging around my neck. Yeah. And they're like, you're such a dad. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to get hit during here. So, yeah, I, I mean, you know, Palo Alto is quite, quite a safe place, um, so I wouldn't worry about it. Um, it's, it's, my, I, it's my city vibe coming into the coming yeah. in. I would say, you know, if you're out like biking at night, you know, where, where the flashies and things like that, of course. Um, yeah. But yeah, I guess. So, um, so, so what do you, what do you think are the challenges then of, of Palo Alto as we, as you know, we move into the future and, and I'm getting to know this place and our church has always been involved in Palo Alto life. I and mean, what, what do you see as some of the challenges of, of Palo Alto? So I guess like, you know, this year dealing with all we've dealt with, um, I'd buck it into two big groups. And so one is like, what's going on in 2020 and probably through next year, which is obviously COVID, the economic impact and the befitting um, responses to, you know, the killing of George Floyd and others, where we're trying to figure out like, hey, how do we eliminate systemic racism in local government policing? And I think to a large degree, those have pushed aside many other challenges. Um, you know, whether it's housing, transportation, uh, a long-term climate change strategy, um, some of that stuff has had to wait. And, and that's disappointing to me and others I know. Um, but, you know, as, as a local government, like our first job is making sure that residents and visitors and students um, are safe, right? That, that is our, our primary function. Um, and something I remind everybody is the city of Palo Alto is by no means a public health agency, right? That's, that's the county. Um, and we're blessed to have three hospitals here um, and a lot of folks who have the means to shelter in place um, but nonetheless, the, the effort the city has had to put in towards handling, communicating, uh, and working with, with medical partners on COVID has been enormous. Um, and, it, and it's kind of shifted some other priorities. And then on top of that, um, you know, th this fiscal year, we effectively dealt with a $40 million budget cut, a $240 million general fund budget. Um, nobody wanted to do that, but without the business activities and hotels and visitors, like, we can't pay for everything. And right. so we had to implement some pretty significant cuts across the board, whether it's, you know, teen programs or road projects uh, or fire department, um, really across the board. Um, and that was a hard problem that I think we're still living with. Um, I think we came out okay. Uh, but, but that's like this year's challenges and I, and I expect them right. to continue into next year. Um, I guess what I think about a little bit is I often say this, what does Palo Alto look like in five years, 10 years, 50 years? Mm -hmm. And what are we, what kind of community are we building towards? And for me, that really centers around our, our decisions around land use and transportation. Um, when I walk downtown or Cal Ave, I look around, I love downtown and Cal Ave both and Midtown. Um, most of it's one or two stories. And I wonder, you know, like in 20 years, should this remain two stories or should we, you know, mm -hmm. have two, three, four levels of housing on top? Um, when I think about transportation, El Camino, should El Camino remain, you know, effectively a state highway for vehicles? Or should we imagine things like a bus rapid transit system or a light rail going to San Jose? Um, the Caltrain station, uh, one of the, the busiest multimodal stations in the Bay Area. Um, it's a little podunk, right? And like, how do I reimagine yeah. that place? Um, so th those are the kind of longer term challenges I think we have. 
I would add to that um, climate change. You know, obviously we're on the bay, we're in between the bay and the foothills. And, you know, this year we're seeing, uh, you know, climate change in action in these fires, right? Just, just over the hills there. Um, and at the same time in other years, we see flooding in the baylands or in some of our creeks. Um, and, and how does Palo Alto prepare and deal with those challenges? Um, I think some of it's related to some of the land use stuff, but, but longer term, we're gonna need to spend, you know, a lot of effort and money to prepare and make our city more resilient. Right. Well, I can imagine that you're, you get a lot of pushback on, on that. I know that um, there was a little kerfuffle about SB 50 and all those kind of things that went yeah. down, but um, you know, I, and it was a very uh, mayoral answer about which avenue you like better, University or California, because when mm -hmm. I moved here, people were very clear to me which one was better. <laughs> I will not divulge that, but there were folks here, they're, they're like, well, here's where, and I was like, oh, okay, but it, 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 they're uniquely different. I mean, they're unique spaces. Um, but uh, so the housing piece seems to be, you know, it, it is certainly the passion around that is getting pushed aside. And I think for good reason, as we're dealing with a lot of other things, but I do want to like, so where, where, how do you see affordable housing, um, more dense housing? Uh, dream, dream with me a little bit about that. What, what does that look like? California, uh, whatever, wherever you could kind of see that happening. And are there models? I know that we just approved uh, an apartment, a one, a one building or one project recently, but are there models for that either in Palo Alto already or in other cities that you could kind of say, okay, this is what I'm, I could see us doing? Sure, let, let, me, let me take that in step. So I think one we have to acknowledge is, is Palo Alto is, is a majority single family homes, wonderful, great neighborhoods. And I am supportive of that and think that's actually okay. But sure. that said, we can't stop there. That's actually not enough. And so right. if we do want to maintain our single family neighborhoods, then we have to figure out where do we actually build housing for our growing community, for seniors who want to downsize, for young families who want to put down roots. And to me, just as a city planner and somebody who's been here for my whole life, like it's, it's pretty obvious. It, it's University, <laughs> Cal Ave, El Camino, maybe a bit of San Antonio or Alma. Um, and that's where we actually need to do denser multifamily housing. And, and I want to start with a fact there, which is I think Everybody in Palo Alto supports affordable housing. How we get there is a big divergence. But if you look, if you look at the data and you look at like models of affordable housing, um, single family homes cannot be affordable housing. The only way to get deed restricted affordable housing is in multifamily apartment buildings. Right, right. Like, end stop. And so if we are, you know, fighting apartment buildings next to the train station, right, um, then we're effectively debilitating affordable housing. And if we're opposing, you know, three stories of homes on Cal Ave, like we're also stopping affordable housing. The, in my view, the best way to get affordable housing is that there are really two ways. You can either put a lot of money towards it. And right now we don't have that money. And we just approved one 100% affordable project called Wilton Court. Um, it's gonna cost $55 million and the city paid about half that bill, about $23 million. Uh, we do not have enough money to buy our way out of the affordable housing crisis. I would rather use other people's money, which means sure. let somebody come in, build, you know, a four or five story apartment building and 15 or 20% of the units in there are affordable, deed restricted. So the last part of your question is, is models. Um, I do not think we have good models in Palo Alto yet. Um, there's one project at Page Mill and El Camino. 
it's a workforce housing project. It's a big hole in the ground right now. Um, in a few years, it'll be about 55 units. And I think something like 12 of those units will be deed restricted to people making a, around the median income. Um, the models I like, uh, if you look to Redwood City or Mountain View, um, they're building projects that are, you know, 100, 200, 300, 400 units. And in each of those, they're getting about 20% affordable housing units. So if you build a 200 unit building, 30 or 40 of them will be deed restricted. And, you know, you just have to go down El Camino to see that. And I understand we may disagree about the architecture. We don't like the glass <laughs> look or the shiny facade. Sure, um, that's not going to be a stopper for me. Um, I want to figure out, you know, how do we look at something like that in Palo Alto? Can we do it our own way? But can we still actually create the conditions where uh, home builders come and build homes and, and make, make right. futures for new families? So tell me then, as I, again, um, it makes so much sense to me. But again, I come, I come from, you know, most of my life uh, in San Francisco where we're struggling with housing, but there's yeah. lots of, you know, densely populated um, housing projects. So the, the snarky part of me when somebody says I'm for affordable housing, but then doesn't actually support or understand affordable housing is that you're not really for affordable housing. I mean, so that that's the probably not helpful part of me. And um, that's why I'm not a politician in many ways that I don't, I'm like, okay, this doesn't make sense to me. So, but what are the, what are the, uh, I would say, what are the arguments that you feel carry some weight or are like, what are, what are the arguments against kind of doing this? I mean, it, it feels to me very provincial. It feels to me, we, we want all this stuff intellectually, but we don't want it to actually happen. I mean, there's just a lot that triggers that for me. But what do you think, what are the arguments against building, you know, genuine affordable housing in Palo Alto? So what, what are the genuine arguments against it? Um, I think traffic is one. Like, look, if you build a new apartment building, like, yes, there are going to be more people. That's right. Fact of life. Um, I think we sometimes let traffic and parking be the, the tail that wags the dog, though, mm. every decision across the city. Um, and that's a little disappointing because, like, I actually believe this city is for people and families, not, you know, for cars and parking lots. Like, I would much rather see a family than a, and I'll give you an example here, that the city, you know, two years ago spent $50 million to build a six-story parking garage on California Avenue. It's going to be the biggest building in that entire district. Um, oh, interesting. We could, that, we could have put that money towards an affordable housing project, right? We could have put it towards a park. Um, but like, instead we built a big concrete building to house cars that are not used 95% of the time. Um, so I think, you know, the traffic argument has some legs in that like, yes, there will be more localized traffic. Um, you know, people often bring up the issue of, of schools, um, which is a fair one, right? Because we actually do need to make sure that our, our, infrastructure and schooling capacity can handle new, new students. Um, at the same time, Palto schools have seen declining enrollments for six or seven years now, right? Which means our kindergarten classes are getting smaller and smaller. And the obvious reason for that is Palo Alto is aging and young families can't afford to live here, yeah. right? And, and so I would say like, and this is how I think about these things, you know, building new homes actually invigorates and refreshes our city, right? And, and on the one hand, it, it creates new families which can send their kids to our schools. That's, that's a blessing. Um, another one I often hear about, you mentioned you've been chatting with local businesses and they're getting to know you. 
I can't tell you how many businesses tell me like, oh, I wish we had more housing so I would have more customers, right? Yeah, it, right, it makes sense. <laughs> and so, I mean, does it mean Palo Alto gets bigger and a little busier? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, but I, I think in terms of cities as organisms and you know communities, like if you're not changing, like you're withering on the vine and, and that worries me. And then there's, there's another funny story I tell. Um, so my father last year went for um, some blood work at Stanford and they wanted to do a follow-up appointment and they were scheduling him out for like eight, nine months out. And he's like, why is it so long? And they're like, well, we can't hire any phlebotomists. Right. And so there's actually these like funny things where people talk about quality of life and why we shouldn't have housing. I would argue like the quality of life for palliative seniors and young people declines if we mm. don't have housing. Yeah. Right? If Stanford can't hire nurses or phlebotomists, like that's a problem. Mm-hmm. If Starbucks can't hire a barista or that barista has to drive two hours from Tracy, that's a problem. Yeah. So. Well, I know as my, as my kids have, have kind of trying to get to like one, you know, at the high school or is, has to get to know the Palo Alto. My other one, we moved here and then she immediately went away from college and is now back, of course. But um, as they're trying to get to know like their friends, they might have a couple of friends around here. Like, what do we do? And all of them are saying, well, you go to San Francisco. And we're like, they're like, we don't really want to do that. So trying to find where things happen here and what's going on. So at you, as somebody who grew up in like, what did you do as a young person when you were here? And how has that, how has that changed? I mean, now you're old compared to them, but how does that, how does that change? Um, What was that like? I'll just give you like a (laughs) top five or something. Um, I love the Baylands. I love Foothills Park. Um, I love a lot of the stuff at Stanford, whether it's the Radon Gallery, uh, the Cantor Art Museum, Free. I don't know if it's still open right now. Um, I always loved biking, Palo bike boulevards, things like Bryant, Park, uh, Lewis, like wonderful streets to bike around and get around town. Um, what else has been fun? Uh, a lot of Palo parks, right? Like we played handball at Hoover and soccer at Greer. Um, my brothers were really into skateboarding at Greer. Um, what else did I do as a kid? I don't know. I biked around a lot. Would yeah. Go to the parks. Go to the sculpture garden. But it's it, it's interesting because I grew up in Sacramento. Okay. And it feels a little bit like coming back to that. Where yeah, you just hop in your bike, you go to the park, you go, you bike bike to the. At that point, it was the Circle K where you get a Slurpee and play video games. Mm-hmm. Like you just yeah. bike somewhere. Um, but I'm you know my kids are my city kids. I'm trying to figure out how do where do they go? How do they get places? So we end up at we end up at Phil's. We end up at Boba, we end up, you know, so it's just, it's just shifted a little bit for people. I mean, I think one thing that's changed a little bit is like, there's a little bit more like interesting new activities at times. Mm. Maybe I just wasn't aware of them as a kid, but um, I saw that this one wine bar down the street, Salvaje, is now offering like pop-up uh, kitchens every other weekend where they bring in a new chef and like, they're going to cook up Vietnamese food this weekend, you know, American style hamburgers next weekend. So that's kind of interesting. Um, You know, there's been some like kind of neat art stuff going on in Palo Alto recently. Like we have our Black Lives Matter mural downtown. There've been a group of students who are doing like wheat pasting on University Avenue about like racial justice. That's something I didn't used to see. Um, It's a shame that Palo Alto is not doing some of its uh, longtime events. We have an annual chili cook-off on the 4th of July. Right. Um, that's that's a real fun thing. It's just like in the park in Mitchell Park, tons of chili competitions, local teams, uh, the firefighters have a team, and there's just music, games, things like that. And, um, 
you know, there used to be like a Frost Amphitheater would have outdoor concerts. Um, right. One of the last things I did before the shutdown, I think, you know, my family and I would see Bob Dylan at Frost Amphitheater. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't, I mean, this is, this, this, uh, the shutdown really has, like, uh, there are all kinds of things we wanted to try. We have this list of things we started to visit just, whether it was establishments or events or gathering, you know, whatever it was. And, and now the list is we like, okay, now we're home and that's uh, what we do. So we'll, we'll see. So you've mentioned a couple of things I think that are important. Um, uh, I, I was fascinated by your willingness to kind of say at the city council meeting, uh, gosh, I don't know, four weeks ago about Foothills Park. And uh, I mean, you said out loud, right? You, you, something to the effect that you're, always surprised at how we can disappoint or something to that effect about, about that vote. You know, um, I really, I appreciated that because not just because I agreed with you, but just because I felt like, okay, you're, you're taking this time to voice something that some might say, well, you know, was that helpful as for the mayor to do? But I mean, you're clearly obviously passionate about foothills. Um, and I'm just getting into that and hearing a lot of conversations. DQ presents. Picture this. Picture the new DQ Summer Blizzard treat menu with iconic flavors that taste like instant summer. You order the one and only drumstick blizzard with peanuts. Oh, wow. Crunchy waffle cone pieces, world-famous DQ soft serve, and blue sky bliss. Or maybe you get the brownie batter blizzard. Ooh-wee. Fudgy brownie goodness. You're feeling breezy and dreamy all over. Moments like these are why the new DQ Summer Blizzard treat menu exists. Get it delivered at DQ.com. DQ. Happy tastes good. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. About it, but for those who weren't there, um, tell what where, where do you stand on what's going on at Foothills Park at this point? Sure. So, so I'd actually disagree with you on a point. I'm not, I'm not terribly passionate about it. Oh, okay. Okay. I actually just think there's some simple solutions. <laughs> um, and so, so for those, you know, listening or maybe wondering, you know, yeah. Foothills Park is a, is a city-owned park. Um, bought with a bond in, in 1959 for $1.3 million, uh, floated by the taxpayers. Um, and in the early 60s, I think 1963, the city passed a residence-only restriction against it, um, which means that, you know, you have to be a Palo resident to visit that park. Uh, Non-residents can walk in through the back. Um, and that's always made me a little uncomfortable, right? Yeah. Like, I love Foothills Park. I went to camps there. You know, been to many parties and hikes and all that kind of stuff. It's a great place. Um, I really think we can maintain it as a wonderful, pristine space and we can let some of our neighbors in. And I think, you know, all the discussions this year uh, about black and brown lives and social and economic opportunity and discrimination like, have really brought it into the fore. And so when I said, like, you know, we, we never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity, um, you know, our Parks and Recreation Commission had worked for almost two years, creating a really narrow, straightforward pilot saying, let's let in up to 50 visitors per day. And, you know, right now the park is seeing like 500, 600 people per day from Palo Alto. And so like, 
you know, an increase of 10%, 10, 15% yep. maximum, which we can always ratchet down. I thought was a really small, simple step uh, to begin opening up that park. And, and this again, gets to what I always come back to is like, what does Palo Alto look like in 10, 20, 50 years? I'm like, in 20 years, are we going to be proud that we have a residence only park? Yeah. I won't be. Yeah. Um, I'm not proud of it now. And I understand that, you know, sure it's it's nicer for me as a resident if there are less people there um and then like i think of like what's the corollary there like is starbucks better for me if there's no line like yeah because i get my drink faster but i actually enjoy like hanging out with the other people in line and chatting right and i really think there's some ways that this park could be improved for palo Altans and everybody else if we welcome in our neighbors and uh some of the folks who studied this issue one story really stood out to me um, somebody who brings in outsiders to do ecological work at foothills, maintaining trails, removing invasive species. And all the kids who come and do this, they love the work. They think it's wonderful. It's a beautiful park. And then they learn that because they don't live in Palo Alto, they can't come back. Yeah. And that, that's just not yeah, a yeah. I think one of, the, one of the young people during the open comments mentioned that. And I was like, oh, there you go. That was, that was a powerful argument. Um, okay. Yeah, there's a, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I think there's a lot of... Uh, uh, you know, controversy about that and as an out as an outsider i i feel like it, it's certainly um i think folks are offended when i kind of push on things at palo alto because i'm i'm not from palo alto and then and then i'm and and then people will say that to me and i'm like well i think that's kind of what i'm talking about like the, like how do we actually welcome folks in in a way that helps the whole community grow and not at, as an as an assumption think people who are not from Palo Alto are somehow not going to be helpful to things. I mean, I, that was one of those pieces that I, cause like the assumption that I, I think some folks had mentioned, well, if you let people outside Palo Alto and they're not going to respect the environment in the park, it was like, well, that, that feels like, I don't think that's true. Like, I just don't yeah. think that's true. Yeah. And um, so anyway, I mean, I think, you know, that's obviously a, a big thing. I want to talk about a couple more things and then um, want to talk about your, your term as mayor um, a little bit. So um, um, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, policing and things that have gone on. This is a dear thing for me um, and my family and lots of communities. And there's these conversations around, uh, do we reform? Do we defund? Do we, uh, is there abolition? I mean, all those kinds of things. And I think you've, you've, I think, handled it pretty well and having, and holding your office and having to have all those conversations. Um, so what's the status right now in terms of the eight can't wait and kind of that movement? Where, where, where are things now um, uh, with that movement? Yeah. So, um, you know, what, what the city council decided to do is, is kind of a two track program. So one is looking at the eight can't wait reforms, which are things such as banning chokeholds, stopping shooting at moving vehicles, uh, continuum of force. There's a whole number of eight recommendations, yeah. kind of a framework. And with our human relations commission and the community, we went through those and the police department responded. And this past Monday, uh, the council roughly endorsed that whole program. Mm -hmm. um, those regulations now need to be written and we'll come back to council for final approval. Um, Eight can't wait is really, you know, the floor. It's, it's yep. a very baby step. Um, so the second side that we're looking at is each, my, myself and each of my council colleagues were on what's called an ad hoc committee, which is a group of us working with staff on a specific issue. And so we have four committees. Uh, one of them is looking at transparency and accountability for the police department. Mm -hmm. Another is looking at the police manual and our police policies. 
A third is looking at alternative service models, such mm-hmm. as, you know, like people have talked about the CAHOOTS program in Eugene, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And the fourth is looking at diversity and inclusion across the city organization. Right. Um, and so just going through those, you know, transparency and accountability, like if there's a police video or evidence, like how quickly can the public get it? What about public records? Um, one of my colleagues, Councilmember Phil Seth, made a really good point, which is that, you know, the police department is not set up as a information sharing department, right? right. It's not in their DNA. And so we're trying to figure out how do we satisfy community demand and interest and build accountability into everything we do at the police department. Um, The police policies and reform ad hoc is maybe the the meatiest of all of them. This is looking at the entire police manual, which I've got up on my shelf here, it's this thick. Um, And it's just saying like, hey, where where is there discrimination here? What policies or data collections or tactics that we have that potentially discriminate against Palo Altans or visitors? And what do we do about that? The alternative service models, as I mentioned, is looking at, um, this is the one I may be most interested in, mm-hmm. um, just like a, a random factoid. Um, how often do we have about 90 uh, uniformed and badged officers? So uh, peace officers, people with a badge, a firearm, et cetera. And we have two or three, what are called community service officers. They wear a uniform, they have a badge, but no firearm. And they can't arrest or detain you. But they do do things like parking tickets, helping businesses with uh, problems, uh, you know, dealing with folks who may be drunk or on drugs. Um, and I wonder, like, why is that ratio like 90 to 3? Mm-hmm. And maybe, like, we have to rebalance that. Like, why do we need a armed, you know, officer, right, or two in a vehicle with, you know, weapons, like pulling somebody over for a traffic stop? Yep. Is that not inviting issues? So that's that. And then the last one is diversity inclusion at, at, at the city government. And this is just saying, like, we want every worker at City Hall and, and other city facilities to be respected, to be treated fairly, to be professional, and to do the same to our community. So if you're going to get your parking permit or figure out your utilities thing, we want to make sure that uh, everybody's included, everybody's at the decision-making table. Right. right. Well, I think I appreciate that. I'm, I'm, um, I do lean towards the abolition side of things and, and, and realize that ACAN, so thank you for at least acknowledging that ACAN weight is a, is a floor measure. I mean, I come from, you know, my, my ex-home city is an ACAN weight city and I would say that it hasn't done as much as they thought it would do. So I'm glad we're taking those steps. And I think the alternative models, like how, like even why, like I think we have in our country, right, we have turned the police into this all service yeah. department that we don't need armed people showing up for mental health crisis things. Right? And yeah. And I think actually even our police department would acknowledge that. Yeah. And you know, like, look, like complete honor and thanks to our police department who sure. does keep us safe every single day. No question. And also like for going through this process with us, cause it's not easy. Um, but they would acknowledge like, Hey, like you ask us to do a lot of stuff and you know, therefore we have to do it reliably. We have to do it safely. We've got to try and do it fairly and we've got to make sure our officers are safe. Right. Um, and it sometimes leads to a bit of like, you know, mission creep. Yep. Yeah. And I think that I, what I love about the possibilities for Palo Alto is it is small town and it's small enough where I feel like, unlike this massive monster of these other big cities, mm-hmm. like Palo Alto feels like we could actually do some things and experiment with some things that this community might be able to lead the way in looking at what is like real police reform look like that, that isn't just 
pledges, but it's actually how, how do these things actually play out working with the community and all that. I mean, I think that um, it seems like there's so much potential here, here for that, um, which is one of the reasons I've just, I've really kind of taken to the, the smalling edging to bigger town vibe because mm-hmm. uh, it does feel like everybody still can have some kind of uh, input and interaction with folks here. So, yeah, um, so let me, uh, folks who are listening to this, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Please use the Q and a um, part there or Derek, if you want to put some questions up in the Q and a, well, we're going to take questions uh, uh, in a minute, but I want to uh, shift a little bit now um, to just ask you. So you had mentioned earlier that you had, kind of stumbled into this, right? You saw an ad in the, I know that you saw an ad in the paper about the commission. <laughs> like, okay. I mean, it's the only paper I actually read these days is the weekly, <laughs> an actual paper. Um, and so you, you, you got into it and then it kind of moved and happened. And, you know, I don't know if you ever thought you'd be in public service at this, in an elected office. Um, but what has it been like? You're not running for reelection. You're not, you, you just, and for whatever reasons, uh, and, you know, so now that you're ending your time, tell us what was that like? How, what, what were the, let me, I'll say what, what were the things that give you joy and kind of brought life to you as you were doing it? And then what were some of the frustrations? What were some of the difficulties? What's that letter you're going to write to the next mayor and leave in the desk? <laughs> um, good question. So what brought me joy? I think um, to one degree, seeing the, the depth and the professionalism of the thousand plus people who work for the city and make sure things run every single day. And so whether it's the children's theater, our police department, our utilities, uh, the folks who, you know, our firefighters who are now, you know, out fighting fires in, in, in Southern California and up here in the hills. Um, like we have an amazing city staff uh, that is extraordinarily dedicated, even though most of them don't live here. And that's been a really, really nice thing. Um, I think I've really appreciated my interactions with a lot of our local retailers right? Just like hearing from one is like, hey, I need to like get this signage thing done. Can you help out? Or another has a parking problem. Um, I've really been honored to try and help our small local businesses with that. Um, that's been something really exciting. And like, it may not be seen, it doesn't always work out, but like, I like that. Um, things that have been lows. Um, I think sometimes we get a little bit too much in our heads in Palo Alto. Mm. And, you know, we, we decide like, any solution born outside of Palo Alto doesn't work here. And so, you know, we have really long council meetings where sometimes we argue and discuss and debate pretty inane details. <laughs> um, and, you know, like, even if you look at other councils around the Bay Area and other cities, like, they don't have meetings as often as we do. They're not as long. Um, yeah. You know, it's not it's not a paid job, right? Like, yeah. you get a small stipend. I get a parking spot at City Hall. <laughs> Whoa, there you go. Um, that's, that's a big one. Um, but I think we we've a little overdone that, and like to some degree, you know, I think I think there's a bit of a issue, which is like sometimes the solution to any problem in local government is is more community and civic engagement, and. I would ask everybody to think on that actually a little bit like, cause we have a lot of community engagement in Palo Alto, right? But there, there's two questions there. One is like, are we actually hearing from the folks affected by this? And so when it's like housing debates, you know, and discussions about housing, most of the speakers are, you know, 60 or 70 year old homeowners in Palo Alto. 
And like, is that the group we need to hear from most? And I, I say this with utter respect. Yeah. I don't think my fellow sure. Altons, but that, that's one issue. Same thing with some of the police reforms. Like we actually haven't really heard from, you know, so many uh, people of color in Palo Alto who have been affected by it. And are we really solving the problem? The second is like issues of expertise. And, you know, should the council and the community really be directing like operational details of the city? Like, you know, right. no, you need to run the utility system this way, not that way. Um, <laughs> and I would say like, you know, so, sometimes we go overboard on that and that, yeah. that can be a little frustrating for me. Um, because as I said before, like I really do have enormous uh, confidence and trust in our city staff. And I know not everybody in the community feels that. Um, sure. That's true. Sure. So then just the last thing you mentioned, you know, like I'm, I'm not running for re-election, which, which is bittersweet for me. I really do enjoy this work. Uh, I enjoy giving back to my community. I enjoy working on the problems. I like whether it is utilities or potholes or parks, like I really enjoy this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I like talking to neighborhoods. I like talking to community groups and figuring out like what's going on, like what are the solutions? How do we get volunteers involved? How do we align the funding? That, that is interesting and I think important work. Right. Um, but I'm not running for a few reasons. Like one, I think, uh, you know, well, I know. Uh, my wife and I are expecting our first kid. That's what I remember you mentioned that. So I don't no, that'll, I be, can... that'll be easy. Your life, it'll, it's fine. You'll have, it'll be good. <laughs> I know. I just don't think I can, you know, be a, be a new dad, work full time and do counsel. So I got to take my pick. Um, you know, two, the second thing is like, I think this year, you know, some people have said like, oh my God, you're like absolutely cursed to have this year as being mayor. And, yeah. and I don't think so. I, I think it has been a privilege. It has been an honor. I've tried to work with all of my colleagues in the community. And even if it, you know, shoved aside some of the things I hope to work on as mayor, like that, that is no bother to me. Um, you know, I, I put everything I can towards keeping Palo Alto safe, making sure our budget is, is balanced and, and then trying to do the best I can in terms of dealing with these issues of systemic racism. Okay. And um, that is more than enough for one person, I think. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm not sure I'd ever see something like that again on council. And so. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, uh, that, that's great. I mean, yeah, I, I think making good, healthy life choices is, I don't think Americans in general and folks around here, as I've learning, <laughs> always do that. Like, like, no, we can actually do everything. Well, we, we, but we can't. <laughs> but you can't. And how do we help our young people, especially, learn how to develop healthy boundaries and all that? Which leads me to our first question from our folks from um, Leif Erickson, who you may or may not know. Um, so of course, you, everybody knows Leif. Um, so here's his question: As speaking as a gun, gun alum, how have you seen the engagement of high school and young adult youth? In public life in recent years, especially this year's, what are the ways that we can continue to welcome and encourage them in public life? Great question, Leif, and, and thanks for, for joining today. Um, so, you know, Palo Alto traditionally had a couple programs to support our youth and teens. We have a Palo Alto Youth Council. Um, I think those were important. They gave good perspective on things like uh, scheduling of, of sports at the fields or bicycle safety, as we talked about earlier. Um, but the 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 nub of his question is especially this year. Um, and, you know, all of our city council meetings are on Zoom like this now. Right. And it has opened up the floodgates of engagement. And we're not hearing from the squeaky wheels anymore. You know, it's really like a much broader, rounder set of the community. A lot of young people who, frankly, are pissed off about <laughs> some of these issues uh, yeah. of racism in, in policing. They are really, really angry. 
and that that is fitting, that is justified. Um, and so, so that has been enormously encouraging um, to hear their voices, to see them organized, writing petitions, uh, setting up protests. I mean, the, the Black Lives Matter protest in Palo Alto on, on early June mm-hmm. was organized by, I think, four or five, you know, 18, 20, and 21-year-olds. Yeah. And they yeah. got something like 6,000 people yeah. here. And it, I was shocked con- when we showed and up. Congresswoman and, yeah. you know, the mayor's from this town and two others. I mean, I, I was blown away, and that is so encouraging. And the last part is how do we keep on encouraging that? Um, one, make sure, you know, local governments maintain conduits where people who are young folks can call in and things like that and keep giving their voice and two, vote for young people you know this fall vote for young people uh the future future is theirs yep right right thank you all right next question comes from uh patty irish and so the mayor mentioned lots of senior living in a house by themselves would would the city consider another place like channing house 10 stories right downtown where you can walk to services transportation then free up housing for a family. So I know you can't say what the city would do, but yeah, answer that as best you can. Sure. Thanks, Patty. I appreciate the question. Um, I would be 100% supportive of that. Um, I think, you know, if, if we want to create new senior living facilities um, for our aging and, you know, honored seniors, I think that's a great value and a great thing for us to do. And it brings a lot to our community. Um, the question is like our current zoning would not allow it. And uh, Channing House and Linton Gardens, um, those are called planned community zoning where the city wrote custom zoning for that project hmm. um, to make it pencil out. And uh, I'm supportive of that. Some of my colleagues are not. Right. So um, you would I, have to change the zoning first typically. and then find a way to develop the project and all that. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Joy asks, is a, I, 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 I will tell you, I love this congregation because these folks are, all up in everything. It's just so lovely for me as a pastor to come into a place that I'm not having to say, let's get out there and do stuff. They're all like, okay, Bruce, here's what you need to do. It's awesome. Um, so Joy follows up with that, who is um, uh, um, here in Palo Alto and said, how can those of us who are housing advocates, how can they be helpful? We have a lot of folks who I think are right where you are and like, how can they be helpful? Thanks, thanks, Joy, for the question. So a few things. Um, when there's a housing item on, on the city council's agenda, dial in and, and make your make your piece. I think September 13th or 14th, the second Monday of September, uh, we have two pretty important housing items. One's about uh, housing affordability. Well, they're both about housing affordability, um, but about like how do we get more affordable housing in Palo Alto. The second thing I'd say is, is look at groups that are also interested in this. So some I can mention, um, Destination Home is really focused on affordable housing in Silicon Valley. Uh, SB at Home, Silicon Valley at Home is another organization uh, pushing for more affordable housing. In Palo Alto, there's a group, um, Palo Alto Forward, really about mm-hmm. uh, housing and transportation solutions. Uh, the League of Women Voters, um, awesome <laughs> organization, been around for a long time. We have we have a bunch of them at this at the church I'm serving, and yes, powerhouses. I, 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 I you know, smile with joy when I see their letters come into city to city council inbox because they're they're, they're yep. well researched and they're really supportive of of an inclusive community. Great, great. Well, thank you. Um, so I end all of my time when I when I interviewing anybody with a, a few questions. For first, you have any questions for me? Is there anything that? Sure. One one thing is, is Leaf mentioned uh, young people getting involved this year. Mm -hmm. The other side that's been really encouraging to me this year, um, and maybe it's because of some of the issues uh, focused at at City Hall this year, 
um, we've seen a lot of religious institutions getting involved this year. Does that feel um, different than in the past? Exactly. I mean, obviously, I don't yeah. know. For, for me, it does. Um, oh. You know, my, my wife and I are members at, at Congregation Colomet, mm -hmm. um, grew up going to synagogues and stuff, and I've seen an increased level of engagement from churches, synagogues, etc. And so I guess my question to you is, like, is something different for you? And then, like, how do you continue that work? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, um, I've always been in this work. This is, I grew up in a church that was founded um, out of the farm worker strikes in the Central Valley in Stockton. My, mm -hmm. my, home, my personal experience has always been about, um, uh, there is a separation of church and state, but there is not a separation between faith and politics. Mm -hmm. And that everything that we do and how we live that in the world impacts the body politic. So um, I've, I've always been in that space. My mom worked in, for the state legislature for 25 years and I roamed the halls of the state capitol growing up and was very engaged in the political system and all of those things. Um, so that's always been um, part of my life. And, you know, I think for First Presbyterian Church, um, they've always done that as well. I mean, you talk about people like Robert McAfee Brown, right? I mean, these are folks who are, were involved in anti-war movement, sanctuary movement, and it's kind of in their DNA. And, and that is a, a, a pretty unique space in our denomination, the Presbyterians. We're a fairly progressive denomination around women and LGBTQIA people and all that. Um, but this congregation is really committed to social justice and social action. So this has been a hard season because we have folks that would normally be out working on campaigns and knocking on doors all around the state or in other places. And so we're now having to reconfigure. So, so I think our, our question is we will, I mean, to the answer to the question is this is where we are. Like I'm, I'm at a church that, um, you know, encourages me as their pastor to be the face of this congregation in other spaces um, when it makes sense, uh, like, so I was uh, arrested at the border um, uh, last year. Um, There's some other places where our encouragement to, to engage in public witness and public in the public square mm -hmm. is a deep commitment here. I think our challenge or how do we keep it going is what does this look like in this new kind of new world of COVID and how do we remain active and how do we tell our story better for more young people. And that's where we're, we're really, that's why they brought me in in some ways is to help reimagine and reconfigure and tell a story that's great from our congregation. I just, it, it's great, but we're a little, we're older and we're wider and trying to not be that in the future. Um, so that's kind of, uh, kind of where we are. Um, um, okay. So uh, there are a couple of questions that slipped in and, and I'm going to give Thank them quickly. Yes, quickly. So effective, aggressive climate change. I know you're going to, there's going to be a climate change for the candidates, but go for it. So Susan, um, the SCAP is a, is a really strong plan uh, to address climate change in Palo Alto. Uh, the big question is how do we pay for it? And so figuring out like what are the mechanisms by, what Palo, by which Palo Alto pays for individual projects, whether it's like a bond offering, a property tax, uh, you know, a business tax, you name it, uh, figuring out ways to fund it. It's going to be really important. And Margaret, your question is, any good chance of tearing down the historical Fry's building and building lots of affordable housing there? Um, I can't read all the tea leaves. I don't think the Fry's building is going to get torn down. I think it's going to get repurposed. In terms of the affordable housing piece, um, it's a matter, again, it, it, it's more likely to happen on the parking lots in, in front and behind the building. 
Um, and it's a matter of, you know, what densities is the community willing to tolerate to see how much affordable housing you get. Um, so, so I mean, it really, it does all come back to, do we genuinely want to build affordable housing that makes sense? And, and well, when are we going to do it? Are we willing to accept the trade-offs, right? Which yep, means yep. taller buildings, fewer parking spots, you know, less green space at times. Yep. Um, and, and are we willing to accept that? Great, great. Awesome. All right, my last questions for you, and you can answer just one of these uh, because we're running out of time a little bit. So, or you can answer them all, it's up to you. Uh, so what are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? Sure, so what am I reading? Um, we are getting in a cooking rut, so I've been reading a bunch of recipes recently. Oh, there you and go. And so, you know, yes, yesterday I was reading Bon Appetit and made a nice, like, summer pasta. Um, <laughs> tonight I'm going to grill some lettuce for a salad. So I've been reading a lot of recipes I'm, fa I'm fascinated by grilled lettuce. It's, I don't know. I saw it. It sounds good. <laughs> you grill these hearts of romaine, put some Caesar dressing on it. Sounds there you go. Um, what am I watching? Uh, I guess the past two weeks or so, we've been watching some of the conventions, but I won't get into that. Um, <laughs> my wife and I are watching The Wire. It's a oh, yeah. cool crime show from the sure. early 2000s. She had never seen it, and I figured, why not? And then what am I listening to? Um, I actually haven't been listening to much. I'm not like a podcast person. Mm. Um, I listen to NPR a lot. Uh, Any music? What's your, what's your go-to music? What am I I like a lot of like new wave stuff. So like talking heads, <laughs> mode. I don't know. you just, you just generational generationed yourself right there. Yeah. A little, a little bit. Depeche mode, man. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, um, uh, thank you, Adrian, for being here. Uh, you can connect with Adrian on Twitter at Adrian, at, at Adrian fine. You can connect with me at B Reyes Chow on all the social media platforms. Uh, be sure to register for all the webinars with all the candidates. We have nine of 10 who have uh, confirmed uh, through uh, the end of September. So you'll, so come back here. It'll be um, uh, Wednesdays and Fridays, one to two. Um, so if those of you that are watching, share that with your friends. Uh, you can find the registration link uh, on the website uh, at fpresspa.org. Uh, please be sure to follow and connect to First Presbyterian Church on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at FPC Palo Alto. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, and you can just search for First Presbyterian Church Palo Alto. Thanks to Derek Kikuchi for helping out on the webinar. And lastly, thank you all for coming, and thank you, Adrian, for sitting down with me today. It's been a pleasure. Glad to get to thank, know you. Thank you, Pastor. It was really nice speaking with you, and thanks for doing this and interviewing all the other candidates. Uh, to everyone listening and to all the members of your church, thank you guys. I hope you stay safe, healthy, and sane in this crazy year. Uh, but it seems like you're well taken care of by the pastor. Good. All right. Thank you. Have a good rest of the week. Cheers. Thank you all Cheers. for being here. Cheers. BRC and Friends was produced, written, recorded, and edited by Bruce Reyes Chow with zero help from his dog Vespa. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to BRC and Friends wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please follow, like, tag, and share on all the platforms via B-R-C-A-N-D-F-R-I-E-N-D-S. Thanks for listening to BRC and Friends. All around the world, poverty is stealing choices from kids. It's time to give those choices back. Introducing Chosen, World Vision's new invitation to sponsorship. For the first time, kids have the power to choose their own sponsors. Now the choice is theirs. The choice to take hold of their future. And even the choice to step into a life-changing relationship with you. Learn more at worldvision.org chosen. If we go to page 11 in the presentation, you'll see that... <laughs> 
You'll see we're on target to meet our quarterly. <clears throat> Some things never change, like nobody can resist <laughs> popping plastic bubbles, and Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. As I was saying, we're on target to meet. Excuse me, um, Miss Miss Hansen. Sorry, almost done. <laughs> Fifteen minutes could save you fifteen percent or more.